The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I wanted to take some time to talk a little bit about wisdom. The title of this retreat is Mindfulness and Wisdom. And uh, so far, I've, we've talked a little bit about understanding and wisdom, but we've mostly been talking about establishing mindfulness and establishing mindfulness from a perspective that supports wisdom, supports understanding to grow. And so I wanted to explore that notion of wisdom in the Buddhist understanding and talk a little bit. What I'd like to explore is um, practical ways that wisdom enters into our, into our meditation so that it's not, it doesn't seem like it's about theory, but more about just very practical orientations towards how we explore experience that begins to embed that wisdom into how we're paying attention. Uh, the, uh, I talked this morning about the perspective of mindfulness that will allow understanding to grow. And so that's what I'd like to elaborate on a little bit right now. call this uh, exploration practical right view. Right view in the Buddhist understanding is the first factor of the Eightfold Path. It is essentially my understanding of why the Buddha put it first in the path is because there does need to be some orientation towards our practice. As I said this morning, the, you know, if you just talk to anybody on the street and say, are you aware that you're angry? You know, the, the perspective that they're bringing to understanding that they're angry is not generally the perspective of wise view. It's not the perspective that the Buddha is, is encouraging us to have from the outset of our practice. And so this is my understanding of why the Buddha put it first on the list, that there is some information about wisdom, information about a perspective or view that's useful to have as we go into our meditation practice, as we begin our, as we, as we even start on our spiritual path. It's useful to have some of this perspective. The classical ways in which wise view is expressed, uh, and I'm not going to do a, a Dharma talk on each of these areas, but just to point to them. Many of you are familiar with, with these words, with some of these teachings. The teachings on the Four Noble Truths is a classical expression of wise view. That there is suffering. That there is a cause or that suffering arises for us. That it's possible for suffering to end and that there is a path that leads to the end of suffering. The Eightfold Path. So that's a classical expression of wise view. 
Well, I'm going to back up for a second. Um, in, uh, in exploring wisdom, in exploring wise view, it does start the path. It is the first of the Eightfold Path, but there's another framing of the practice that is we begin the path with, uh, with ethics and um, with uh, mental cultivation, and then wisdom results. Wisdom is the fruit of our practice. And so... Uh, in some framings of our path, the wisdom, the wise view starts the path. And in other framings, the wise view, the wisdom is the result of our practice. And there is a, a teaching that kind of integrates those two. It is both. We start our path with needing some information, with needing to hear some information about what is this perspective? How do we orient our attention. How do we pay attention such that this kind of wisdom and understanding can grow? And so there's a, an exploration or a teaching that there are three kinds of wisdom and that kind of follow along these, um, uh, you know, the first kind of wisdom is just wisdom that we hear. It's, it's what we take in. It's the information. It's the teaching of the Buddha. That's wisdom. And we, we can receive that. That's the first kind of wisdom. We simply receive it. We take it in. The second kind of wisdom is where we start to think about it. We reflect about it. We think about, hmm, does this make sense to me? How does it apply to my practice? And so we use that wisdom in our minds. We, we, we bring it to bear on our experience. We may explore, well, given, given that there is... Um, uh, an arising of suffering and that the path of practice is partly to look at that, how might I engage with that? And so we, we, we hear the information and then we start to use it. That's the second kind of wisdom where we're actively engaged with the, the teachings, the offerings of wisdom that the Buddha offered or presented. The third kind of wisdom is where having engaged, having explored having understood or having you know, been curious about this, this perspective and having uh, practiced with it, there are moments and times where we actually understand something for ourselves. It's no longer theoretical. It's no longer information that somebody else has given to us. It's, it's something we understand for ourselves. And this kind of wisdom accumulates over the life of our practice. It's not that, you know, we practice for a very long time and suddenly in one big kaboom there's a lot of wisdom that we gain. It comes very slowly. We, we get little tastes of wisdom as we practice. Everyone in here, in your exploration of meditation, sometimes you've seen, oh, when I, when I just can know, oh, this is an in-breath, this is an out-breath, and I, and I can uh, let go of the pull to thinking... There's ease. There's a little bit of peace. And so we begin to understand how our thoughts agitate our minds. That's a direct kind of wisdom that we understand. We're not necessarily always in the place of understanding that in the moment. At least in my own experience, you know, I've had insights around deep patterns, you know, there was a a period of time where I was really working with the pattern of self-hatred, watching, observing this pattern of self-hatred. And there were moments where I so clearly understood 
that this self-hatred was a construction of the mind. It had no uh, inherent reality. It was just a thought. And in that understanding, that whole pattern of self-hatred fell away for that moment. It was a deep understanding of how that pattern of self-hatred was a construct of mind. But that didn't mean that that construct of mind never came back again. So there was a deep understanding and a knowing that it was a construct of mind. And in that moment of that understanding, that self-hatred crumbled. It had no ground to stand on. And yet the pattern is so strong at times that we get to look at it again. What I've seen for myself in these, um, the way wisdom grows is that you know, we see something like that directly. We see some bit of wisdom directly. Some understanding happens for us very clear in the moment. And then um, you know, later we're not in the place where we're understanding it that clearly. But we remember that we did understand it clearly. And if we cannot be judging ourselves, I mean, if we can be in a position of just recognizing, okay, that understanding actually did happen, it's not the perspective that I'm seeing things through now, we can kind of borrow or, or remind ourselves, right, I know at some level this is just a construct of mind. And so this understanding that I had around self-hatred could be applied later. It's like I borrowed my own wisdom it's like I, I brought that wisdom to bear when that pattern came, uh, came back. It's like, okay, yes, I know this is just a construct of mind. And in borrowing my own wisdom, it can create some space. There can, there can be some sense of, right, okay, I can hang out with this. I know it's just a construct of mind. It's not inherently threatening here. It's just what the mind is doing right now. Okay, this is what self-hatred feels like. So that's possible. That's possible. And in my experience, that kind of deeper understanding, those moments when wisdom actually becomes clear, when it breaks through, support us later in our practice when the pattern comes back. These patterns do come back over and over again. So, so the right view has these three different forms. It's the It's the view that we receive, what we hear. It's the view that we engage with, our own uh, reflection, our thinking about. And it's uh, the understanding that happens as we actually engage in the practice. And then, as I said, there's some classical definitions of right view. There's the Four Noble Truths as an expression of right view. There's um, the expression of... um, of karma, that when actions are motivated by greed, aversion, and delusion, suffering tends to follow. And when actions are motivated by the opposite, non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, it tends to lead us towards happiness. So this is, this is a teaching that the Buddha offers. He points us to recognize when greed, aversion, and delusion are happening if you're, if you're enmeshed in that, in the way I talked about this morning, if you're being angry, if you're being um, immersed in wanting, you're cultivating, you're, you're heading in the direction of those tendencies leading us to suffering. 
If instead you're able to, oh, there's aversion arising in the mind. I know that aversion is arising in the mind. Instead, we are, we are, we've taken a step back and we're uh, cultivating mindfulness. We're cultivating um, wisdom in that moment. And so we're heading, we're heading in another direction. We're heading more towards the possibility of release of that. So this is another teaching. There's several ways that wise view is expressed in the classical form. I'd like to distill wise view into a couple of really practical points. Um, The first one, and these are ones that we can use in practice, and we can also use the Four Noble Truths in practice. We can also use karma in practice, and and yet sometimes those... Those ideas are not so familiar to us, and so we get a little convoluted and start thinking about it. And so I wanted to distill uh, wise view into some really, really simple um, um, concepts that are, I hope, easy to apply in the moment in your practice. The first, I'll, I'll state it in a way, and then I'll describe what I mean. Objects are just objects. What I mean by object is any meditation experience. Any experience at all. Experience is just experience. This perspective is expressed by um, the Buddhist teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness where he's encouraging us to just know Aversion's arising in the moment. When aversion is arising, understand aversion is arising. This, this framing of practice is all over the Satipatthana Sutta. Oh, it's over the four foundations of mindfulness. He says, when breathing in, know that you're breathing in. When breathing out, know that you're breathing out. When feeling a pleasant feeling, know you're feeling a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, know that you're feeling an unpleasant feeling. This is this perspective. Experience is just experience. It's just meant to be known. It is just an experience. It's it's just something to know. Any experience, as far as our cultivation of mindfulness goes, all experiences are essentially equal. There's no object No experience inherently any better than any other experiences for the purpose of cultivating mindfulness. Not inherently. Each of us personally has certain objects or certain experiences that are more challenging to cultivate mindfulness with. For myself, anger was a huge rabbit hole. And it took me some time to learn enough balance to be able to really be able to just witness it. And it's, oh, anger is just anger. Anger is happening. I can know that. So we each have our own uh, rabbit holes. We each have our own areas of experience that are a little harder for us to say, oh yes, uh, this, this experience is just like any other experience. And yet what I'm pointing to here is that inherently, there's nothing inherent about any experience that means you can't be mindful of it. And 
there's nothing inherent about any there's nothing inherent about any experience that means you can't be present for it it's important that we explore is our attitude our relationship to uh, experience is that balanced so checking in the relationship to experience is, is a key piece of this exploration of Objects are just objects. Experience is just experience. Experience is just experience as long as the mind is balanced. As long as the mind is, hmm, no problem. This is what's arising. When there is a reaction or a, an aversion or a, a, um, a desire or confusion around an experience then we need to also recognize, okay, that's what's happening and there's aversion happening. It's possible then to have balance around both of those. And so pain in the knee and frustration are happening. Can I be okay with that? Again, if there can be that balance of mind, there's, there's no other experience that would be better for you in this moment than that for cultivating mindfulness. And so this is kind of the perspective that Saito Utejaniya brings to the practice. It's like whatever experience is arising, whatever's naturally arising, that's the perfect place for you to cultivate mindfulness. It's the perfect place for you to recognize, is there some reactivity? And can I take a step back and recognize, oh, oh, frustration, oh, confusion, oh, tension, oh. And can I be balanced with that? Can I... Can I know that? And as I've said several times over the last 24 hours, if it's not possible to be balanced, and there are definitely times, I mean, I had many times in my first couple of years of practice when anger would arise, and I could not be balanced with it. And at that point, it is compassion. It is, it is kind to ourselves to find another way, to not try to force ourselves to be with that when we're overwhelmed by it. And so there's a skill to this. Objects are just objects. So this brings in this objects are just objects. Experience is just experience. Sometimes this can come into our practice as a kind of a reminder to us we can use it as a little bit of wisdom. Um, when something's arising that we have some challenge with, we may be able to find our way to that allowing perspective by exploring, okay, it's just anger. It's just frustration. Adding that word just. It's just confusion. Objects are just objects. It's just anger. It's just confusion. It's just frustration. Sometimes that word just helps to bring the mind into a little bit more balance. This is wise view. It's practical, a practical direction of wise view. So this uh, perspective, objects are just objects, begins to cultivate a, a non-judgmental perspective on our experience that we can begin to, over time, more and more of our experience can be known or seen from this way of, 
It's just another arising experience. What is it that can be known? What is the human quality of this experience? So that's the first kind of practical, wise view. Objects are just objects. Experience is just experience. It's just whatever. It's just anger. It's just knee pain. It's just knee pain and frustration. So it encourages us to open to what is actually here, what is actually happening. The second piece of um, practical expression of wise view is that whatever is arising in the present moment, objects, you know, this word object, Saira Utejaniya uses the word object a lot, and I'm going to give you each a book from Saira Utejaniya. I'll have them out here after the next walking. Uh, and he uses this word object a lot, so I'm introducing it. It's language that meditation teachers tend to pick up. So if you hear people talking about objects, it just means experience. <laughs> it just means some experience. So whatever is happening, experience, any experience, any meditation object, anything that the mind is knowing, it is a result of prior conditions. It's an effect. It's not arising randomly. It has a a very logical... It's a logical consequence of what preceded. Everything that happens is a logical consequence of what preceded. We, don't necessar- we can't necessarily know what the conditions are that lead to what is arising. We can't always know that. But it, it can be useful just to remind ourselves, this is conditioned. This is arising because of conditions. Conditions include, um, okay, the conditions are vast. The conditions for what's arising in this moment, as Gill sometimes says, the entirety of everything that's happened in the universe up until this second has contributed to what is arising for me right now. It is that vast. And so we can't possibly know all of the conditions that have come into the creation of this moment. And so there are, you know, there are conditions of, of the weather. There are conditions of uh, your genetics. Uh, so kind of just, you know, conditions of your body. And um, there's conditions of what other people in the world do. There's, there's the vastness of the, con- the, the conditions of the world. There's conditions related to... Um, you know, how, uh, where you were born and, and how you grew up and what your culture was and, or is and, uh, you know, how your playmates treated you in school. You know, there's all of those conditions come into how are you in this moment. And we can't know all of them. But we can at times, we can see threads. Sometimes we can see threads of, of how those come together. I'll give an example. Um, this is going to be a little bit more like a Dharma talk at this point. I'm going to just let it go. Um, um, 
When I was a kid, I still have bad eyes. I had really bad eyes, only I didn't know I had bad eyes until I was in like second grade. And um, because I couldn't see very well, um, the teacher always put me in the front row. So I was in the front row all the time in school. And not only could I not see very well, I was also pretty short. And so it was helpful for me to be in the front row to be able to see the blackboard. And um, since that time, I mean, I was in the front row for several years, probably first through third grade, the teachers put me in the front row. Um, after that time, like when I would go into any situation where there was a kind of a, a person in the front of the room and choices for places to sit in the room, I would choose to sit in the front row. And... Um, for a while, I had this story about myself, like, well, that means I'm really interested in what the teachers have to say, or, you know, it just, it, it says something about who I am, you know, and, and at some point I realized, no, this is, a lot of the reason I sit here is because this is where I was put. That's where I, got, I grew comfortable. So it was more about being comfortable than it was anything about me as, you know, any, any feature of me as a person. So, you know, the, the conditions, the conditions can be kind of impersonal that lead to how we are, the choices we make, what, what happens to us. So there are conditions from history, our genetic tendencies, um, our, and then there are um, our past choices, things that we've chosen in the past, the way, the way that we've chosen to respond to the world. And some of that comes from how we're taught my my own, um, you know, I see I see children repeating patterns that their parents demonstrate, and so likewise for me, I repeat patterns that my parents demonstrated, and those were the kinds of patterns that got um, propelled, and those were the kind of choices I made. And so those are also inputs into what's happening right now. The other thing that's input into what's happening right now, the other piece of uh, what's going on right now, is how we are with what's happening right now. And this is an important condition. It's like, from the perspective of the Buddhist teaching, how we are right now with what is happening in the moment is pretty much the most important condition Everything that has happened up until now has happened. What's arising is arising. We don't have much say in that piece. The universe has conspired to put us here in this place right now. There is some capacity our minds have, some agency our minds have to respond to this moment in different ways. And as we hear the teachings of what the Buddha offers, we begin to understand that if we uh, open ourselves to this moment with compassion and balance of mind, there's a completely different relationship to what's here than there is if we're reacting out of aversion or greed or confusion. So how we are in this moment with everything that has come to this moment how we are in this moment is crucially, is, is, is the key of how or whether we are suffering in this moment. 
essentially we are kind of aligning ourselves when we're not suffering, when we are balanced around what's happening, we're aligning ourselves with the truth that, yep, things have come to be this way. What's happened has happened. Can't change the past. This is what is arising. And I can be with that. It's not saying that I'm not going to take action in the future to see if I can potentially move the direction in, in a way that it feels more productive. So, you know, the, that this, this equanimity, the non-reactivity to what is here, what is already here, it's here, we can't change it. Aversion to what is here does not help the situation in this moment. Equanimity to what is here in this moment creates a condition for a larger perspective from which we then then can step into response, a skillful action out of compassion, out of kindness, out of wisdom. So the, the, the balance of mind, the kind of coming into alignment with truth of this is what has happened. It is what it is. We cannot change what is. When we come into alignment with that, we have a much more uh, balanced place from which to step into the future with skill. So balance of mind equanimity is not about non-action. It's not about saying, oh, things as they are, yep, everything's great. It's, this, is, this is what has come to be. Yes, there is injustice in the world. Yes, This is what has come to be. I understand this is the conditions and oh, the heart breaks from that. There's compassion. The heart opens in compassion to that and wants to act in a way to alleviate suffering. Wants to move forward. Not just like, oh yes, things as they are. And so that's that's an important piece around wisdom. The expression of wisdom here, especially around... The, the notion of cause and effect. Opening to that truth of the conditioned nature of experience doesn't mean that we become passive things. We actually, our activity, the activity of our hearts becomes uh, in the service of compassion and wisdom rather than in the service of aversion and greed. So as we begin to see and recognize, yes, this is, this is what has come to be. Sometimes we can, so this is the, the practical right view piece of it, how we can bring this into the present moment. A kind of a recognition, yep. Can't change the past. This is what's here. This is nature, sometimes an expression of mind that I open to. Uh, the flowering of this moment. Whatever has come to be, has come to be kind of in a natural unfolding. It has been conditioned. It's followed a natural path. It's nature. We are expressions of nature. We are nature. 
And so that reminder, for me that reminder, right, this is nature. Whatever's arising right now, this is nature. To me that helps me come into a balance with, right, okay, this has come to be. Again, can, can I be uh, in a relationship of allowing with what has come to be? Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, would you use the mic? So um, I wrote in my note, I think you said earlier, aversion to what is here does not help, right? But then you just said... Um, Allowing aversion. So I'm allowing yes. aversion, but yeah. so so this is this is the paradox of how we teach. I mean, it's uh, um, if if so the 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 aversion to this moment doesn't help if we are believing the aversion. It's like so. It's that I am averse to this moment. I believe that this this is a problem. It needs to be. Uh, I, I, I it is. It, it should not be here. So, so aversion to this moment, it kind of sometimes can express itself as resistance. This shouldn't be happening. And yes, it's true that um, what we have to do at times is recognize, oh yes, resistance is what's happening. So it's again that subtle shift of recognizing, am I resisting this? Am I buying into the resistance? Or am I step back to recognize, oh, right, this is what's happening and resistance is happening. So if you, if you can step back and recognize, oh, right, yep. So, so to me, what, what, what the this is nature does kind of helps me to step back and recognize, oh, right, this is nature. I am resisting this. It helps me to recognize the resistance as also just part of nature. So again, we, you know, it's, a, it's a, the language, it is confusing. It is a confusing um, language when we, we both speak about, um, yes, it's not so helpful to resist this moment, and yet, so the resistance itself is not so helpful. And, uh, but that's, that resistance is not helpful when we believe the resistance or when we're bought into the resistance, when we think we have to do something with that resistance, when we can step back and, uh, oh, this, uh, this pain in the knee is arising and resistance is arising. Okay, that's what's happening. That is nature too. Then we're no longer bought into the resistance. So it's the, it's the stepping back and making the container bigger. Sometimes with the bringing the perspective of this is nature, we might find the resistance weakens. And it's kind of like using the this is just. It's a, it's a tool that may help us to come into balance around our greed, our aversion, our confusion around what's happening so that we can allow what's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, as you're speaking, I almost think that the distinction is um, about in the action. So aversion is here, and I'm allowing the aversion, so I'm not doing anything 
against it. I just let it be. Yes. You're not um, doing anything against it and you're not doing anything with it, it either. Yeah. I just yes. let it be. Yes. But the aversion doesn't help. Yeah. The aversion doesn't help, then it would be um, acting in a way that I'm driven by aversion yes. doesn't help. Yes. Yes. So if I do something with it, that yes. doesn't help. But if I just let it be, yes. It's okay. Yes. When you're, when you're in the perspective of letting it be, that's the perspective that we're exploring with wise mindfulness. So that's the perspective of wise view. And so as we, you know, bring in these, you know, the, the, the first one, objects are just objects. So this is just, this is just aversion. That can help to bring a perspective of balance, reminding us, oh, right, I can know this. Or... Aversion is nature. Aversion is conditioned. Of course I'm acting with aversion. I've practiced aversion for my whole life. Of course this is arising. And so as a reminder, again, it's a, this is the, the wise view, the reminder that this is, this, is, this is natural that this is arising. And I can take a step back and not buy into it. Okay, I have one more perspective, and then we'll stretch again. I'm going to shift the whole schedule here because this has ended up being more of a Dharma talk than a short instruction. Um, The third piece, or the third aspect of practical wise view, remember the first, objects are just objects. Objects are an effect. Objects are conditioned. Experience is conditioned. So the first one, this is just. The second one, this is nature. This is a result. This is, of course, this is happening. That kind of perspective on our practice. The third is that experience, objects, are not things. There's nothing there as an entity that we can point to and say, that is what it is. It feels like there is in a way. It's like, yes, that is anger. I know that's anger. Yes, anger is a thing. It feels that way sometimes. It feels like it's a thing. But everything that's unfolding in our experience is a process. It is, it is in unimaginable flux all the time. It never sits still. The experience of something having a kind of a solidity is a perspective or a view or an idea that our minds place onto experience. It's a perception. It's a, it's a, it's a view, essentially, that we place onto experience that things are static. That's contributed to by the way our perception works. I mean, I look out here and I see, you know, I see chair. It looks like that chair's been sitting there this whole time and surely it's stable. And, you know, it's, uh, it, I don't, I, I think if I look away, if I walk out of here, I come back, it's still going to be there. It's, it's a thing. I think of it as a thing. And it's useful to have that perspective 
It's useful to have the perspective of, of kind of things being solid uh, at times because, you know, our world functions this way. I mean, it's like this wall. It, you know, it, if, I, if I have the idea, oh, it's not really a thing, you know, maybe I'll try to run through it and it's like, that's not going to work. I'm going to, you know, get a big bruise on my forehead. So it's useful to, to have this it's it's a useful construct at times to have this you know understanding or to have to lay this perspective of things being things on top of our experience it serves us it serves us to navigate the world and yet it is a mental construct i will not say too much more about that um except to just encourage you in your practice, the, the way this can be explored is when we think something is solid, when it feels like something is a thing, it can be interesting to just spend a little more time hanging out with it. This experience of um, this anger that's arising. Is it really one thing? Or does it shift and change? So we begin to touch into the kind of dynamic nature of experience through this investigation. So uh, that's the encouragement around this particular piece of wise view. Objects are not things. They are a dynamic, changing field. And so if anything feels solid or stable... Knee pain, for instance, can feel like this big solid block in the in the knee. It's like one thing. And if your mind can be relaxed and not re- resistant and aversive to that pain, you may start to discover that there is no solidity to pain at all. It is a flash here, a little burst of a sense, strong sensation in one location and then it disappears in that location and a little flash happens over there. And so we see that there's no thing called pain. It is a, it's a dance. It's a lively dance. And that's the way all of our experience is. Even as something presents itself, it's already changing. And, um, you know, it, it appears, for instance, that that chair isn't changing, but that's mostly just because of the perspective of our senses that we have on that. My understanding is that, you know, as I put my hand against the wall here, from what I understand about physics, as I put my hand against the wall here, atoms, particles from my hand are intermingling Switching with particles of the wall. There's no division. So, at a very fundamental level, physics agrees with this statement. And yet, again, it's it's useful to... um, the fact that we 
<laughs> the fact that we think we, we have stability is useful. I heard a story of one physicist who, understanding the, the uh, dynamic nature, the, you know, just like basically there's vast space. You know, this wall is mostly space, apparently. <laughs> and uh, this one physicist, apparently, in understanding this, became very paranoid that he was going to, like, fall through the floor because there was so much space. You know, so his understanding was an intellectual one. And, 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 and so it's, use, it's useful to think we're not going to fall through the floor because we're not going to fall through the floor. <laughs> but, but it's also useful to understand that it's, it's because of our perceptual apparatus that we, we don't see this flux. And we can begin to recognize the radical changing nature of our experience. When we are clinging to something, when we think something is worth clinging to, we are clinging to it because we think it's going to stay around. And this teaching begins to undermine that uh, motivation for clinging. Because even as something comes into being, it's already falling apart. And our efforts to hold on to something, one, one student talked about it, beginning to understand it as rope burn. It's like, you know, a rope is slipping through your hands. Like that's how fast things are changing. We're trying to hold on to something that's changing so fast. And it's like we're trying to hold on to a rope that's just slipping through our hands. The suffering that results from trying to hold on to something that's changing is rope burn. We're trying to do something that's not actually possible. We can't hold on to something that's changing, and yet we think we can, and we suffer from that. So, objects are just objects. Objects are an effect, and objects are not things. There's a continual flow. Those three pieces the objects are not things. Um, I think uh, a useful strategy for that, we have, I've talked about various reminders, like with objects are just objects. This is just is a way to kind of bring that understanding into practice. With um, objects are an effect. This is nature. Of course this is happening. This is conditioned. Those are ways to bring that balance around that particular understanding. The third one, objects are not things. Nothing is static. Everything is impermanent. This is changing. Those kinds of reflections can be brought in. These, all, these, all three of these bring the perspective of wise view to our practice. So this is this perspective of wise view, bringing these perspectives of wise view, begins to create the conditions for us to not just hold it from a perspective, but begin to actually open to seeing understanding experience from this perspective. 
So we, 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 rec- we, begin, we can begin to recognize, yes, this is just an experience. It's nothing, nothing's any different than any other experience inherently. There's, there's an understanding that can begin to develop there. We begin to recognize the conditioned nature of our experience and we begin to recognize the impermanent nature of our experience. Actually seeing it, actually understanding it and not having to uh, remind ourselves so much. So we begin, we explore the perspective, begin by bringing the perspective of wise view in consciously to our meditation. And this perspective of wise view helps us to balance, helps us to come into that, right, ah, this is just what's happening. And then from that balanced place, the deeper wisdom, the wisdom starts to grow in and of itself. It's no longer just an idea or a concept. Um, so let's see. I think. Do you want Do you want to take some questions? Should we take some questions? Any questions, comments, thoughts about this piece? Yeah. Oh. Henry first, and then Henry, right? Harry, sorry, Harry, and then Sylvie. Um, so. Um, I think the um, I would like to ask how can we translate I think the perspective of equanimity is really very important when we approach a um, a experience that, uh, that's already arisen right but to react skillfully for that I find that my it's not just mindfulness. Mindfulness is uh, it's much more, um, from the standpoint of, of equanimity, you can react to things much better than from the standpoint of aversions, restlessness, yes. or um, other um, hindrance, right? Exactly, yes. But uh, to react skillfully for, uh, to that uh, uh, conditions that already ar- arisen, I find that it's... it's there, there must be some other, I mean, like, probably we need to have more practical teaching, like, uh, more practical, yeah, like, learning from someone who has a skill or something like that. But, like, that would be the general answer for um, how to approach skillful um, actions. In the world? Right. Yeah, it's hard. It's definitely hard. And, and what we begin, I mean, we, we begin on the mindfulness side, we begin exploring, can I bring more and more mindfulness into my day? And as we do that, we begin to have a little bit more choice, a little bit more choice in our actions. We may begin to see a moment before we speak and recognize, oh, oh, that's got some tension in it. And maybe it's not so good to speak from that. So... So there, there's a little bit more um, traction in a way as, as mindfulness gets stronger, a little bit more possibility to uh, refrain from acting, even if we're feeling aversion, 
You know, it's like that. So, so that's so understanding that acting out of aversion can can be, you well, know, just basically head us in this direction of suffering. And we see this happen. You know, something comes out of our mouth that's spoken out of anger, and boy, you know, the ripple effects from that. You know, it's 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 very powerful. And so we 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 know the consequences. So the the you know when we can see it going to happen before it happens. There is sometimes a little bit of choice and we can step back, not go there. The thing that I like to suggest for people, I mean, especially in the midst of daily life, um, do the best you can. Do the best you can and get really good at cleaning up the mess. (laughs) Recognize when you've done something that has uh, created consequences like that and, um, you know, own it. It's like, yep, okay, that wasn't so helpful. So it's, it's not denying that it happened. Um, so when is the time that you should put something aside or, like, you know, say that you, you don't have the skills or the ability to handle this and move on and that kind of stuff. You know, it's, you it's, it's going it. to be, um, each person has to find their way with this. I mm. mean, um, for instance, you know, the other day I was writing uh, an email and I knew I was charged as I was writing it. And, um, and I, you know, I read it many times and I reread it and, and then I realized, you know, I need to sit on this. I need to not send this right now. I need to, to put this aside for the night. I'll come back and I'll read it again tomorrow. And so, you know, there, it, there are times that we recognize, and I think it's just a learning. We learn for ourselves uh, the, the warning signs. You know, it's like, yeah, there's some reaction. It feels like this is pretty balanced here, but I know there's reactivity in the mind. I feel a tightness. So maybe I shouldn't send that right away. So it, th- I mean, it, it, we really have to, we have to learn from our own mistakes and begin to, I mean, it's, there's no way we're going to do it perfectly. There is no way we're going to get through this without blowing it massively. And so we have to be willing to um, recognize, yep, that wasn't so helpful. Not beat ourselves up about it, but try to learn from that. And, and try to learn, you know, it's like, if we're, if we're trying to be mindful as best we can in these processes, it's like, I think I probably learned from that from previous times when I thought, oh yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah, I, I did a good job with that. And yet there was still a little constriction. I sent it off and then, you know, got some feedback that, oh, maybe I should have waited. So learning from our mistakes. So we, we have to do the best we can. And that, I would say there's a piece in there. Uh, for myself, what I explore is, um, how is the heart? If I'm making a choice about acting around something. Does the heart feel relaxed? Does the heart feel open? Or does the heart feel constricted? If the heart feels constricted, that's a warning sign for me. And I take care 
when that happens. I may not have the luxury to wait. Sometimes our situations are that, you know, we're in the midst of something and who we feel something and we, have, we haven't got much choice but to, uh, I mean, it's like the, the situation is demanding an action in that moment. There are times when we don't, we don't have the luxury to, you know, in the midst of a conversation with our, our boss, you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I need to be mindful right now. I'm having some constriction, so let me, let me, uh, you know, <laughs> take a break. You know, we may not have that, that luxury, right? And yet we, we can do the best we can, feel, recognize, oh, there's a warning sign here. Ooh, I f- okay, let me do the best I can. And over time, uh, what I, it's an overtime process. It is definitely over time that, that our capacity for um, acting more skillfully grows and that our capacity for, in the moment, being able to recognize and release, and recognize, oh, there's a, there's a perspective of frustration here. Hmm, can I, can I step into compassion and act from there instead of the frustration? Even as, a, even as the frustration may still be there, we may be able to kind of create yeah. a bigger container. Having mindfulness is very helpful for, to be able to make that... S- Without mindfulness... Show. It's almost <laughs> hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally agree. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Sylvie. Yeah, um, I thought this three step was really powerful uh, to me, especially the number two and three. Like, I mean, one is anger is just anger. Like, Okay, it makes sense, but it's almost like um, putting fuel in the fire, you know? Like I'm angry and someone tells me, oh, this is just anger. Oh, but uh-huh. I'm fuming. Well, if, if somebody else tells you that, yes. If you can tell yourself that, sometimes it's... It's easier. It's say. easier, yeah. Yeah, but the, the really big... Oh, yeah, this is, this is a place where, you know, we can be, uh, you know, bludgeon our friends with our Buddhism, you know? It's like... <laughs> Oh, it's just anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the second, which is really powerful to me because it's kind of open to compassion. Because when, if I'm telling myself, of course I'm angry, like it's conditioned, of course, you know, this is happening and I'm angry. Um, there's kindness in that. Yes. There's acceptance. Yes. And as opposed to, um, it's my way of, if I was going to realize this is just anger, I would kind of uh, tell myself I shouldn't be angry. And, uh, you know, I can do better than that or uh-huh. I'll just deny yeah. this and do something else and don't deal with the anger. Yeah. Um, but the really staying in it, in, in, in kind of saying... Of course I'm angry. That, for me, it really completely changes the game. Yeah. Like, it's just like... And I think each of these different kinds of perspective of wisdom will be applicable to different situations, different times, different, different know, things will yeah, be... Yes, but at the same time, you know, I think you have... A, this three stuff you have is really brilliant. I mean, maybe you need to write a book about this. Because <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, the, the three steps of 
of mindful self-compassion or things like this, it, it, I think they're really related. Like once I've been able to say, you know, to me, oh, this is just anger. Oh, of course I'm angry. Then the, the third step was objects are, are not things, right? So it's like, okay, I am not, then I can say I'm not angry. This is just a process of anger yes. going through. Yes, me. yes, um, yes. And that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like I don't have to be, um, I guess, boiling in, in, in this. Yes. It's, now I can allow it to go through because it's a process. It's not solid and it's not me. Yes. So yeah. I, yeah, I just think this is just really amazing. What I'm curious about is how do you apply this to a meditation? Well, again, it's just the, the use of, the, the way it's applied is through the use of little, like what we would call wisdom reflections or wisdom reminders in the midst of practice. So you're meditating and something comes up. You know, anger comes up or, or some difficult state comes up where we're struggling a little bit. Using, using these perspectives, we can, we can bring the wisdom in. I, I, Saito Utejaniya calls it borrowing wisdom. And we're borrowing the wisdom of the Buddha. Uh, oh, this is just anger. Or, of course, this anger is arising. You can bring that thought into your mind. It's like using uh, a wisdom thought to support the mind coming into a little balance. Yeah, I mean, I think I would... It's almost like this deserves like some kind of acronym, you know, like RAIN, that like uh-huh. I almost feel like I would like to be sitting here and I would like you to guide through those three steps. I think that they have a reason to be one after another and see what kind of happens with my anger. Uh-huh. Well, I could try that sometime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think I'd like to do now, since you've been sitting for a while... Um, is let you go for a walk. We'll do a, a half an hour walk, come back at 4.15, and then we'll sit together for a short time, and then we'll have a final time to, to have questions and discussions. Maybe I'll try this. Uh, I've never tried doing this as a guided, so we'll see. See how that works. <laughs> Actually, let's make it a 25-minute uh, walk, so until 4.10.